solar system drawn with crayons and annotated with every fact and story the pages could fit. The corner seat with a view of a man surfing the sea's strength while I learned about wavelengths. The library of legend surrounded by every great work is me hoping to be affected. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> what a lovely poem to launch our new semester. Thank you. Yeah, it was kind of personal. I guess we haven't really, we don't really do that so much on this podcast. It's, it's, it's true. Talk about ourselves. It's kind of weird. But I thought for this semester, which seems like it's going to be a little bit more personal than the last one, because we're mm -hmm. both recent graduates. So we have very vivid and, uh, and fresh memories of the education system for its faults and for its good things as well. So I started with this poem, which is a little triptych, three stanzas of different different educational memories that I have. Yeah, I recognize one of them because you were recently telling me about how lovely this one classroom was where you got to sit by the window every day yeah. <laughs> and watch the ocean. In my, in my middle school, there was this one corner seat right in the back of the classroom where you could see kind of above the town and across all the trees and the streets and everything and all the buildings, just this little piece of sky and horizon. Sometimes you see boats going on it, especially in the summer, and it was very, very lovely. And the other two memories I drew from were, one was this solar system booklet that I made when I was, I think, six or mm -hmm. seven, when I was first discovering all the planets. I was like, this is so awesome. So I made this, I, I put a lot of work into this little, uh, little zine, mm -hmm. which was all about the solar system and all the planets and the mythology and all the science of it as well, at least the science that I could understand at that time. And then the third one was the most recent was in university where there was this library where we both go to and it was full of all the great works of history, all the great philosophy, all the great literature, all of the great scientific books. And we would bury ourselves in there and hope to channel some of that, some of those great thinkers. And I don't think we did, but it was the hope. And that's the, that's the whole point of it. Yeah, that's the backbone of education. Hope at becoming something new or better. Nice. And today, to launch the series, same as we did last time, we're going to highlight all of the things that are wrong with the education system, in our opinion, yep. from our experience. Because I know education systems are very different all across the world. Even you and I had different elementary school backgrounds. Right, across the pond. Hopefully, after highlighting all the bad things, we're going to come up with a bunch of ideas and questions to spark the conversation for the following weeks of building what education will look like in the solar scene. Right. So we're going to hope to come away from this episode with some questions. And should we also mention the, oh. the elephants in the room? Yeah. Because this is the first time we're recording ourselves. So this episode is going on YouTube. So if you're just listening to this through the usual way on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or whatever, you can see our faces if you want. I don't know why you'd want to, but we're putting ourselves we through to, it. We need to pick... Pitch it. We need to be better salespeople. <laughs> we are, you can see all of my hand movements. Yep. All of, there's going to be some surprise appearances of right. the organisms of the week. S some visuals to help annotate our yes. voices. I just think, I mean, as we've been talking about for a while, like there's this stress, there's a tension, there's an anxiety. And I think it's best to not pretend that it isn't there, but <laughs> it's there. And um, I always say sometimes when people listen, like maybe you can hear how sweaty I get. But now you're going to see it. it. And that's, that's a stressful experience for me. I mean, it took a long time for me to become okay with having my voice be heard by myself. You know, everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, I hate my voice. That's, that was really difficult for us as podcasters. Yes. But now it's going to be even more difficult. Mm. 
But anyway, you can see me in all my sweaty glory. And also it's like, <laughs> the thing is, when people are on camera, I know people get awkward. But mm -hmm. you can attest at least that I'm always awkward when we record this podcast. Yeah, and in general. Um, <laughs> I love you. you and I think you're very attractive and look very good. Oh, thank you. So I feel like a lot of your insecurity is personal. No, but it's just, it's, <laughs> it's not even always insecurity. It's just sometimes the logos, you know, real conversation when you're trying to be on the frontier of your own intellect and as true. well as someone else's in a, in a back and forth in a conversation, it's not attractive and it's not charismatic. It's, it's ugly and it's bumpy and sometimes we might yawn, but we're not tired. We're just, it's just like a stressed yawn. Yeah. Or it's just like a, an excited yawn or something, like mm -hmm. a dog. So <laughs> starting with education anyway, uh, what's wrong? We've kind of broken it up into three different elements of the classroom, elements of school. And the first of those is the kids. Yeah, <laughs> because usually when you think of education, you don't, your mind doesn't jump to university or adult learning. It right. jumps towards a bunch of six-year-olds yeah. in a classroom with cramps. But for this, I was actually including, all, I just meant the students. The kids are changing, Yeah, some sure. would say. And I think some for the better, some for the worse. Kids are becoming a lot more spirited okay it's perhaps the word for it sure and kids are also i feel like becoming because we spent how many years were we in the education system 16 years yeah, 16. so it's like we saw a lot of changes because when we started school the internet wasn't really a thing mm -hmm. but then our last semester of university was fully online so we saw a lot of changes take place and it manifested a lot in the kids so to me when I was in like primary one and two, everyone was still like really excited about learning for mm. the most part. Yep. And then by the time we got to middle school, everyone was rebelling. And I know it's like a cliche that kids rebel in the middle school, but it was a different type of rebellion. Okay. How would you describe that middle school angst and how it was amplified perhaps by everyone having cell phones and Instagram? Well, yeah, I do want to emphasize, you mentioned it, but I do want to emphasize that we know that kids change as they get older. Yes. But the point is, what we're trying to make is that we saw as we changed, also the environment in which the kids were growing mm -hmm. up in changing. And that was, and also the, the, the adults were living in, like the teachers yeah. were living in. So we saw the methods change as well, which was, which was very crazy. And the fact that we're starting with the students in terms of what's wrong, mm -hmm. it seems kind of like uh, overly critical or harsh. Yeah, it's true. But I think it's just that when it comes to the education system, everyone's very quick to blame curriculums, teaching methods, et cetera. But the students are also a really important component of the classroom and they affect things. And I think ev almost everyone will admit that it's really difficult for children to grow up today. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of distractions and pitfalls that they might stumble upon. And so that changes the way they carry themselves in the classroom for sure. And also the way they approach education. So when you said the middle school rebellion, I guess I would summarize that as the world becomes too big. Or well, the world is, mm -hmm. is is bigger for children than it ever was in history, pretty much. Yeah. And I think it's the bad things of the world, and that's obvious. People are really exposed to wars and famines and injustices from all around the world from a young age, like we never were mm -hmm. before. But also the good things. Mm -hmm. You get to see, as I think we mentioned in the degrowth series, really good schools, really good students, really good teachers, and really good classrooms from mm -hmm. around the world. And you can say, man, I wish I had that, but you yeah. don't have that. So it makes you look at your own environment a little bit differently. Yeah. To me, that transition from
from kids having no idea what was going on outside of their own four walls mm. to knowing what was going on all over the world was that I feel like there was this switch at some point in our lifetimes, whereas kids of all ages just thought they knew way more than anyone else <laughs> because they had it in their pocket. They're like, why would I need to memorize this? Why would I need to learn this? Why would I need to even like develop the capacity to make connections when all the connections have been made and I can access them instantly? Yeah, and I think that switch used to characterize adolescence. I mean, it used mm -hmm. to be like, oh, teenagers think they know best. Yeah. But I do think now that age is getting younger. Yes. And I do think kids are trying to grow up quicker. And I think a kid should be, um, your experience should be that there is no world outside the playground. Mm -hmm. That's what makes lunch so dramatic and yeah. also class so dramatic. Because mm -hmm. it's like, you're the only 15 humans in existence. Mm -hmm and your teacher, the, yeah. the oppressor. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like at that point, when the kids start being all tyrannical, the teachers feel pretty helpless. Is At least that's what it seemed like from my perspective. It was like the teachers didn't know what a Instagram was in 2013. Mm. So they were like, these kids are acting like they're being bullied, but I don't see anyone being bullied. And the teachers were just like confused. They're like, these kids are bringing these concepts that I never learned about or these news stories even that they like can't make sense of because they're children. Mm. And then the teachers were just like, well, I can't make sense of it either because it's all so new and rapid. Yeah, that generational gap is definitely something that characterizes a lot of different classrooms, I think. But just going back to the world being too big for kids and them being exposed to a lot more, I think this manifests in a lack of enthusiasm for... Mm -hmm things like end of class projects mm -hmm. or end of year dances. We talked yeah. in the degrowth series about that lack of enthusiasm and how it's, it's kind of like school spirit and there's not a lot of school spirit anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's because kids are students of a lot more than just their own school now, I think is the, yeah. the best way of saying that. Another thing I think is attention span. Like I know this is a very well-wrought topic, mm -hmm. but uh, it's important to mention that. Yeah. Kids are just from the youngest stage. I mean, there's like baby sensory videos that you play for like zero to three month olds that are like the most rapid videos you've ever What's seen that? in your life. I've, my sister told me about them, then I looked them up and they're these super bright neon, just cartoon fruits or cartoon stars or whatever, just flashing up on the screen wow. with this rapid music. And it's like, oh, this is like a magic pill that you can like show your baby and they'll stop crying. And it's like, baby obviously, wave. because mm. they're like, their minds are being blown when you show them this. And it starts from that young. Whereas with us, it's like, we didn't see the TV until we were three or four, maybe. Right. And it's like, obviously getting younger and younger and has been for years. But our attention spans are just being cut shorter and shorter. My sister, I was talking to her the other day as well. And she was like, talking about making reels and stuff. And said, seven seconds is the max. Like, don't make anything longer than seven seconds. And I was like, what kind of a story can you tell in that long of a time? And later on in the series, I'm going to talk about Marie Montessori, who her philosophy is giving kids three-hour chunks of time to do one task. Hmm. But that's because it's like you need to get them used to being in flow, which no one's ever in flow anymore. Yeah. I do think that the attention span in classrooms being chaotic is a problem from a young age. I understand that response people might have which is like well kids aren't meant to sit still for six hours and mm -hmm. stuff. for one i think that's true they shouldn't i think it's true that's not a good thing but for another i would say 
it's a little bit disingenuous to say that and to, to only attribute that to school because there's a lot of kids on their day off who will happily sit for more than six hours, mm -hmm. but they'll just be with an iPad or something like that. Yeah. I found a 2018 study by Rutgers University, which found that devices allowed in classrooms averaged half a grade worse on the final exam for all the students. Mm -hmm. And it also even averaged slightly worse for the students who weren't using the devices, but were just mm -hmm. in the classroom with them. Yeah. So um, I know there's a lot of rise in like ADHD and attention deficit disorder and things like that, but came up with this catchy term, which is maybe it's less attention deficit and more attention divided. Interesting slogan. In a lot of cases, anyway. Yes. When I think about, like, the problem with kids, you can't think about it isolated. You have to think the problem with society, the world. Yeah. The world. And it manifests in kids because kids are just, like, microcosms no, yeah, for everything that's it. else. I think no one wants to criticize children because, like, no. that's, there's <laughs> no, it's not the children's fault. And mm -hmm. I'm also not even exactly, I don't even think it's parents' fault because I think a lot of parenting is practically predetermined in mm -hmm. today's age and what you have to do. But just for the solo scene and for the sake of a hypothetical, it's mm -hmm. best to mention it, best, best to describe what we see. I agree. Another point I have with the children, something that I notice a lot in my progression as a student, I guess, is the lack of critical thinking. Mm -hmm. I think critical thinking is on the wane. And an example I had for this is that pretty much in every course I ever took, there were children who would complain about, or students who would complain about the fact that on the exam, there was a question or two that weren't exactly what was shown on the practice test mm -hmm. or the pre-exam. And what that means is that kids are focusing more on memorizing and knowing how to solve the questions exactly as they've been asked, mm -hmm. i.e. jumping through a hoop for a grade rather than actually understanding the concepts. Mm -hmm. So it would be like a question on an exam that's phrased or put in a slightly different order to what the kids have been used to. And they would just have no idea how to do it because they didn't actually mm -hmm. understand the concepts. I think that's an issue when the children go into adulthood because it means there's a lack of problem solving, a lack of creativity. I mean, that's kind of drilled out of kids any, of, in school anyway. So mm -hmm. that's like a, a self-fulfilling uh, cycle. Mm -hmm. And also media literacy just isn't there at all because people don't really know how to read between the lines in a way. I 100% agree. I'm going to read a quote from a book now because this is a good segue into the quote okay you said kids don't know about media literacy mm. super important because it's like we're all exposed to news 24 7 even from a young age and like you need to know is this biased you need to know even when you're talking to your parents as a kid it's like i feel like knowing about bias is important because sometimes <laughs> advice might be like really insensitive to like the true experience that you're having mm. and this is from a book called the body keeps the score and it's all about new ways of dealing with trauma okay. and dealing with psychological issues that a lot of people experience. And it's saying, hey, there's going to be a mental health crisis, but psychologists aren't going to be able to keep up. So we need to teach kids how to be literate about their own bodies and build the capacity to cope on their own. And it's like, I don't think we need to be throwing four-year-olds out there and saying, hey, cope with your emotions alone. But it's building up over the 12 years that you're in the school system by the time you graduate, you should be able to regulate your own emotions, whereas now that's just disregarded. And it's also disregarded how to feed yourself properly and a bunch of other things, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But these are two quotes that I wanted to read. It says, in addition to reading, writing, and arithmetic, 
all kids need to learn self-awareness, self-regulation, and communication as part of their core curriculum. Just as we teach history and geography, we need to teach children how their brains and bodies work. For adults and children alike, being in control of ourselves requires becoming familiar with our inner world and accurately identifying what scares, upsets, or delights us. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that in the modern context because kids are faced with an onslaught of opposition when it comes to becoming a healthy, fully realized, and self-aware human. Mm -hmm. I think in the ideal world, you probably don't need to arm young children with how to take care of themselves because they'll be able to model it after their mm -hmm. elders yeah. who themselves are well-formed people. It's mm -hmm. true. <laughs> but in a world where the media is so broken and a lot of adults have grown up with unhealthy expectations and things like that, then mm -hmm. children start to model bad behaviors. And, and I'm not a child psychologist, but I think this is how it works anyway. Yeah, no, it is. That's like how humans learn. My other quote, which I think is relevant to like what's wrong with society and kids right now is that the quote says children and adults alike need to experience how rewarding it is to work at the edge of their abilities resilience is the product of agency knowing that what you do makes a difference so it's like right now i feel like there's no challenge in schools and kids like mm. don't want to be challenged because no, they don't want to fail the comfort zone yeah yeah i had a, a teacher in high school who a lot of people didn't like at the time and i kind of didn't like him at the time but now i see it was actually a pretty cool practice that when we would start a new unit, he taught physics. So when he's introducing a new concept, he would just give us the questions, like really difficult questions, and say, do it. And everyone would be like, but you didn't teach us how. And he'd be like, well, just try and figure it out for a while. And now I realize that was the only time in school, except maybe when you're given some difficult literature, but usually your hand is held through that, that you are groping your way through the darkness and trying to figure stuff out. And inevitably, you made at least some connections or you found some things that you were familiar with you probably wouldn't be able to solve the whole question, but it, um, it exercised a part of the brain that we don't often use in school anymore. Yeah. And so well, when you come out of school, you're completely incapable. Yeah, I mean, that's what life is, is just like exposing yourself to problems and being like trying to rack your brain for some kind of a connection and a place to start. Yeah. And then we're able to figure things out ourselves. He would also do the thing where he would give us a list of questions and like a, an absurdly short time to, to do them all in. He would mm -hmm. say, like, they'd be difficult physics questions. He'd say, okay, come back in 10 or 15 minutes and have them done. And we'd be like, that's not enough time. And he said, speed comes first, correctness comes later, <laughs> which I think was, at the time I just found it hilarious. But now I'm like, that's actually how real life is. It's mm -hmm. more important that you get the thing done than it is that you get the thing mm -hmm. uh, correctly. Or, you know, really perfectly finished anyway yeah my final thing for what's wrong with like students is that i feel like people are often lazy as to prove that the system is too easy or too irrelevant one or the other so it's like from my experience i remember for years and years i was just like this is boring so i'd just be lazy like just kind of throw words on the page and be like here and then you'd get an 80 or whatever mm -hmm. or for people i feel like they're just lazy because they're like this is irrelevant to me this is not what i like this is mainly in university i feel like because kids need to learn things that are in their mind irrelevant, I think. But in university, when you've signed up for a specific course and there's these courses that are just like irrelevant to what you want to do, you're going to just kind of pass them because you have to pass them. Yep. And it's like people shouldn't feel like they need to be lazy to prove a point. Did you have any more points for, for this one? No, but I think we could come up with a question when it comes to the Solocene kids, mm. the infants of the Solocene, yeah. children of the sun. <laughs> in terms of um, how can they integrate 
modern technologies while retaining the traditional um, sense of a, of a closed world and also the, the good attention span, maybe? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah, sure. Love it. Okay, uh, moving on. The second element of the classroom, and I also want to mention that for the semester as a whole, we're talking about the whole concept of education, knowledge, learning, whatever age. But I think for this episode and maybe the start of the series, we're focusing on the education system mm -hmm. from young to higher education, I guess. Yeah. Okay, the second uh, obstacle that we're facing today is, I don't think this is even grammatically correct, so I'm kind of ashamed, but disunity of goal, something like that, which means that we as a culture, as a society, as a people, don't agree on what schools should even be doing, what kind of graduates it should be producing, et cetera, and what should be being taught there. And so we see the education system becoming this sort of ideological battleground or like a, a political proxy in the worst of times. and uh... A glorified babysitter in the best of times. Wow, yeah. You said this to me earlier today or the other day, and you said we've kind of stripped away a bunch of stuff from the historical techniques of school, the bad things, like the that it's strictly to teach kids discipline. We've stripped away a lot of things, but we haven't like integrated anything new. So we just kind of have this like jello-y, like boneless mm. mass that is the education system. Yeah, it's I mean, like, the spine's kind of been ripped out, but it hasn't yeah. been replaced by anything. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's rudderless. Yeah, we've just put smart boards up and been like, this is the future. That's the best, the best example of it, but I think we should get into that <laughs> later. I know, I know. So a point I had for this one is that the world's changing. So this generation gap that you mentioned where therapists are going to be 30 years older than their patients mm -hmm. is the same thing with teachers. And so they don't understand the world in which the kids grew up. Mm -hmm. Not for lack of trying, but you, it's something that you just can't understand unless you lived it pretty much or saw it firsthand. Mm -hmm. So the nature of knowledge and education and teaching is changing, I think, where what does it mean to know something when you can always Google it? Like it's always very quickly accessible. It's like, do you need to memorize it or do you just do you just need to know how to get there? Mm -hmm. So I think there's this kind of existential disagreement about what it means to know something today. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to get into that on this episode because I'm not fully prepared to, but I think that can be a question for next week maybe. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to even know something today? I think that's an excellent question. And I think that'll be an overarching question that we maybe won't even finish answering next week. But Yeah, I wrote about it in the zine. Just saying. The zine, maybe you should mention that. Little plug. We have a zine to accompany this semester. It's all about education. And I wrote about what it is to know and how people will know in the solo scene. And there's a link in the description. Yeah. But what do you think about this, um, that we can't agree on what schools should be mm -hmm. producing? I mean, I remember in high school thinking to myself, what, like, who, who designed this system? Mm. And the thing, I feel like the reason we can't agree upon what, we're what we should be teaching children, how we should be teaching, what's the purpose of us being in school for 16 years, is because the school system was established and just never changed. And so there's a lot of people who feel like, oh, school isn't it obvious. They don't actually have an answer. They're like, oh, it's, isn't it obvious to create citizens? But it's like, what does it mean to create a citizen? Like Plato wrote about education in his utopia, and he said it was equitable education where literally everybody has the exact same basis or else democracy won't work. Standardization. Yeah. So he thinks standardization. Some people thought for public education was there was this assumption that anyone who was in a lower economic class was inherently evil. <laughs> so 
we cannot empower them. We cannot give them debate tools. We cannot give them art training or the capacity to rise in society because then we're going to have evil people running the society, which is not what we want. So I feel like this holdover is from that system. And then there's just like so many weird holdovers that people just take as, oh, that's the purpose of education. Don't question it. So I feel like there's that camp. Then there's the camp of people who are like, oh, to inspire kids, to allow them to like discover themselves. Then there's the camp of people who say, to like equip people for the real world, teach them taxes, teach them how to cook, home ec, yeah. care for a baby. And I feel like none of those are really right. I feel like there needs to be some kind of mixture. But to me, I mean, we'll get into this, I'm sure, plenty of other times. Like the purpose of school is to create citizens, similar to what Plato was saying. But it's like we can't think that they're inherently evil. We can't think that they inherently have no drive. That kids are just like aimless. We need to assume that they have passions deep inside of them and skills. Mm -hmm. Well, I would never want to disrespect or like disregard what a parent wants their kids to be taught because ultimately they have the final say, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think standardization is a bit weird because it doesn't exactly reflect the ideological diversity which is present in a lot of towns, cities, provinces, states, countries anymore. So that's weird because I remember like I went to middle school and high school in a very rural place Mm -hmm. and pretty much all the kids were going to grow up to be farmers or fishermen Mm -hmm. or some kind of laborers. Mm -hmm. So the education that we did, which was your standard math, English, a little bit of history with with some room for electives and choice, but really not a lot of room. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't relevant for them. Mm -hmm. And there are situations where it's vice versa as well. So I do think that's strange. I do think we'll, that's something that we will hopefully get to the essence of. Mm-hmm. Another thing I think there's some disagreement about is the lack of agency that graduates have, especially from high school. Because for the most part, I would say today, most high school graduates feel essentially powerless and essentially like cogs in the system and rather demoralized. It might have been, maybe it used to be the other way when high school graduates would be naively optimistic about their agency in the world but i think that's that's preferable to what we have now but there's a fine line because there's some people who would say well why would you want to be teaching your kids to be revolutionaries or to try and tear down systems or things like that why would you teach them to be so critical and there's also the people who would say why would you want to produce kids that are just ready for quote unquote the real world Mm -hmm. which often translates to creativity less automatons that people who are devoid of like I feel like through schooling it was just drilled like we just got bored of questioning why Mm. of questioning why are we learning this why are we doing this in this manner why are there tests why are there you literally just get bored and stop asking why and you just start doing it and it's like I've read so many (laughs) papers and it's like that's the point we'd want kids to graduate and stop questioning and just do because that's what they have to do in the workplace right they'll be more happy if they are not just like always having this internal battle of why, why, why. It's true. I mean, I think there's an element of accepting reality. Mm -hmm. But I also think that kids should graduate with the confidence and competence to believe that they can improve the world. I think even that just that phrasing, improve the world, rather than start a revolution or change the world seems so drastic. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, if they think they can improve it, then that's Mm -hmm. only a good thing. Yeah. I was thinking a bit about 
education in the solo scene. And I was like, right now there's no, despite us graduating with no agency is how it felt to me or no like empowerment. Because also we're not taught like discipline to be like disciplined in our studies, to be no. disciplined to authority. That's what I'm saying. It's neither. Yeah. Like it, they threw away that because it was, you know, it's better to be this, but it's not even this. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's nothing. Yeah. I have some fun <laughs> ideas about how we can implement discipline and respect for one another. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. But today's just the negative. So I need to focus on those. Sure. You mentioned like taxes and cooking and stuff. And there's, mm -hmm. there's even, there is dispute about whether schools should be teaching those kind of practical skills. And I think most of the, the essence of the debate lies in whether it should be taught at home or at school. And I see often teachers and parents kind of pointing the finger at each other. You'll see parents say, what are they teaching you these days? And you'll see teachers kind of bemoan the, the kids that are coming in each year and saying like, mm -hmm. wow, these kids don't know what they're doing and stuff like this, mm -hmm. which I think is, a, is kind of a funny circle. It's like both people are kind of saying, no, you should do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I feel like neither system right now has room for it. It's like parents come home at five o'clock exhausted. No, yeah. Teachers, for some reason, have to teach social studies for eight years. <laughs> no one knows what social studies is. And it's like, you're in school for 16 years. There should be a time or another that they can learn taxes in school. Parents shouldn't have to work insane amounts of hours and be exhausted every day so they should be able to learn it at home yeah education obviously doesn't exist in a vacuum from things like economics mm -hmm. so maybe we'll talk about that a little bit in future episodes but we'll probably do a series on economics at some point so yeah it's, kind it's of... true <laughs> <laughs> do you want to know what the organism of the week is okay yeah sure so this week everyone gets to see it who's watching on youtube if you're listening on your podcast app maybe you can hop over to the youtube it's a sea star who doesn't love a good sea star Spineless invertebrates. Uh, another reason why I thought they would be good for this episode is because they're not social. Okay. But they congregate certain times of year to feed. And that reminds me of kids. Because okay. I feel like kids, the current education system is developing really individual people. Mm. The only time we ever really socialize and are forced into like social situations in school was at lunch. And another few things about sea stars is that they're carnivores, which I didn't know. Yeah. But I feel like everything in the ocean is kind of a carnivore. They live up to 35 years, and guess how much they can weigh? Um, one pound. 11 pounds. Wow, that's like you. They can also have <laughs> up to 50 arms. <gasps> I'm very impressed that you didn't draw it with um, floral shorts on. I was going to either draw Patrick or one with like a bunch of arms, but I just drew a traditional starfish with little suckers and little mouth and everything and one more thing that i didn't know about starfish is that their latin name is astrodia and they're known as asteroids all over the world and it's a really fun name for sea stars or starfish as if they came from space yeah that's what they look like maybe they did it's possible yeah they also have little basically eyes on the tips of their arms which i didn't know they're like light sensitive senses yeah for finding food i think i did know that for some reason Crazy, crazy things. And that's who's sponsoring the episode, Sea Stars. Nice. We have another category. Yep. But I also just had like a rapid fire list of things that are wrong with education. Yeah, okay. Or like the system. So I'll go through them. One, lunch and breaks. That's a twisty relationship that kids are forced to have with food and with their time. Mm. Another thing, five days a week for eight hours. Like, maybe that's not ideal. Um, I feel like that needs to change a little bit, more or less, or like different times of year. 
which we'll yeah. talk about in the future, I'm well, sure. Well, let's do that for next episode. Yeah. The what, ideal uh, school day. The ideal school day and how many per week and mm-hmm. when in the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something I think is wrong. There's a lot of disparities in quality of education, even just rural to urban divides, and obviously way more across classes and intergenerational issues of like parents who don't even know that these are options for their kids. And so, yeah, that's a big issue that I saw, just disparities. There's no information on self-regulation, which I mentioned earlier. No information on others, like kids think they're the center of the universe, which they should to an extent. They should feel empowered. They also should know that they're not the center of the universe to me. At some point along the way, I'd be taught that. There's poor integration of technology. Yeah, definitely. Learning stops at like 18 to 25 years old, Mm. which is not ideal to me because we're very capable creatures of learning all throughout our lives. Um, There's just inefficient. There's no choice. Um, There's like a fear of like excellence almost, I feel like, in a lot of school systems. Yeah, well, I don't think that's a a product of the school system. I think that's a product of the culture, which is that Mm -hmm. the nerds get bullied. Mm-hmm. Were you ever bullied for being a nerd? I was. Yeah, yeah. I remember in middle school when sometimes kids would ask me, like, oh, what'd you get on the test? I would have to say, like, lower because I was mm-hmm. trying to be accepted. And it's like, that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons people like the new Spider-Man because he goes to, like, a gifted school. Yeah. And it, it's like, oh, they're nerds, but they're cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's what it is. Big Bang Theory, something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, just no resources for schools. Like, schools should be the priority. Schools and medicine in my head, are like the two things that like make a society roll. And I feel like those are the two places that are often cut back when it comes to money. So those are, that's my like speed run, speed, speed round. Yeah, the lightning round. Yeah. And then the last category is methods. The last category to go along with kids and something is methods. That's right. <laughs> the actual educational methods. And this will probably take the bulk of the episode. So when you mentioned the poor integration of technology that's the first thing that comes to my mind when it comes to methods because Mm -hmm. teachers don't know how to integrate this at all or whoever's designing the curriculum it depends on the school board and the level of education but internet and technology has kind of been spliced into all the wrong places i think Mm -hmm. so you end up with this weird result of some parts of the classroom and some parts of the curriculum being completely archaic and other parts being way too advanced for the teacher to use Mm -hmm. or unnecessarily advanced yeah. Like the, the smart board was a really good example. Yeah, it's there like, wasn't a teacher in school who knew how to work it, but they were forced to use it because their whiteboards were covered with them. But there was no reason. It's like we have this classroom, which, as you said, hasn't changed since what, the 1800s or so. Yeah. And they said, well, we'll have the internet, so let's get rid of that whiteboard and replace it with an electronic one for absolutely no reason. Mm-hmm. And it, it caused basically no benefit. And I would say people, I guess people would say also the change from the chalkboard to the whiteboard was a, was a similar example. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's just an aesthetic change. It doesn't yeah. change the, the method of teaching, which the method should have changed given the environment has changed mm-hmm. dramatically. You know, you can't under, understate how quickly things are changing. It's changing a lot quicker than 12 years the kids are in school for. Mm-hmm. And it's changing a lot, a lot quicker than the gap from graduation to becoming a teacher. Mm -hmm. So do you have any other thoughts about that integration? Any funny examples aside from the smart board? I feel like I have so many. Did you have like computer labs or like computer hours? Yes. That was in elementary school. 
there'd be a couple classrooms in the school just turned into computer, like rooms with a bunch of computers. And they'd be like, okay, go on this website called Fun Math Games and play math games for an hour. And they were just video games, like glorified video games. And it's like, this could have been done really interestingly to allow kids to use fun and games to learn math, which right. I am all for. They thought that's they were how being we progressive, learn. but in the end, you're just yeah. playing Mario's. It's like a two plus two before yeah. each jump. Yeah. My friends in university, they did an Enactus project where they worked with these computer science kids and they created this video game about financial literacy and they like did metrics for it to see like if it was actually efficient in teaching people about financial literacy and it was. Mm-hmm. And it's like stuff like this would have been well integrated into education. But instead we're just thrown into the computer lab and you're on like MySpace or whatever you were doing yeah. back then. Well, my um my high school chemistry teacher, she tried to do a completely flipped classroom, which was you learn the subject at home mm-hmm. using videos that she had prepared as well as things on YouTube like Khan Academy mm-hmm. and exercises online and she would give you the assignments at home and then you'd just come into the class and then your classroom time would be just troubleshooting problem solving by getting able being able to ask her questions Mm -hmm. and that's an idea which was unique in our school at the time and I think it was a little bit ahead of it ahead of its time because everyone basically revolted and the class didn't end very well Mm -hmm. no one liked her but that's an interesting idea you know because something that's I don't think people really have the answer for right now is how does the teacher-student dynamic change when the kids can just Google and find more information about the topic than most likely the teacher knows? Mm-hmm. Because, of course, the internet has more on it than your average teacher. Mm-hmm. That's just, or your average expert, even, because yeah. the internet's just a depository of all the information ever. Yes. So that's, that's an interesting dynamic that I don't think anyone really knows what to do with right now. Yeah. And I think it, it undermines the, the sage-on-the-stage mm-hmm. type teaching, which is, I'm the teacher, you're the students, I tell you what to do. But I also think this kind of new age, um, more progressive, like everyone's learning dynamic where the Mm -hmm. teachers and the students are on more of an even plane can often result in just sheer chaos. I think so as well. (laughs) I remember in high school, so basically, okay, this is a bit of a all over the place, but in the early 1900s, late 1800s, there were a bunch of teachers and psychologists and doctors who were doing research into like how we actually learn. And what they discovered over 100 years ago was everyone learns differently. And it doesn't mean they learn differently through different methods. It means everyone comes into a lecture with different things that they know, experiences that they've had. And so no matter what you try, no matter how specific you get in the lecture, everyone's going to interpret it in their own way. Mm. And so that research was done hundreds of years ago but is just now kind of being brought into classrooms with like, okay, we'll start the class off with a 20-minute lecture, then 40 minutes of these different techniques of learning. And I remember them like trying to incorporate these new ways of learning of like starting every class with a discussion circle or jigsaw learning, which is when each student becomes an expert in one part of the project and teaches it to the other students. And I think there's a lot of like really positive ways that's done but it just can't keep being sliced into these existing eight hour days it's like one conversation circle in eight hours isn't going to yeah it comes off as very gimmicky especially because often you can tell you feel that the teacher's heart isn't really in it because Mm -hmm. they weren't raised on that and it's kind of been thrown on them yeah i do think students have a lot more power than they used to at least that's how Mm -hmm. it was in my school and i think 
and talking to other people that's been represented all over the all over mm-hmm. the all over the shop in grade school as well as university and i think this can be a good thing in some cases because more autonomy and um, personalization is, mm-hmm. is probably a good thing but i also think the generational gap you know that can help bridge it which is good because sometimes it's like the teachers oh i don't know how to connect these speakers mm-hmm. and the students most likely will be like oh i know how to do that so that can be a good thing but i think it can also be bad sometimes because adults usually know what's best mm-hmm. especially for kids because they're teachers so they've seen a lot yeah so students might be saying for instance this is a simple example but oh but i want to be able to listen to music in class why can't mm-hmm. i do that and adults might be saying no mm-hmm. even if the teachers say well this can help me learn better and yeah. i think this is going to be this is going to be a, an issue with kids coming back from online school as well oh 100% i had this one professor who every single class i took with them would spend a class just saying do not use your laptop to take notes showing a study after study after study of why it's ineffective. It's literally just going to hinder you. Mm. And he's like, if after all this, you still want to use it, use it. And people still would. And it was like, this is remarkable to me because he's been teaching for years. He's had students go on to be like astronauts and stuff. So it's like, he knows what he's doing. Why would I know better? <laughs> and I think it's that balance of like, in sometimes you the students literally do know better. They've- Sometimes. Sometimes. But in that instance, there's a kind of arrogance, which is like, oh, the teacher's trying to tell me to do this, but mm-hmm. I want to do this. But really, I think in a lot of cases anyway, from what I saw in, on campus, when almost everyone would have their laptop, mm-hmm. the reason they would have their laptop is so that they could just do other stuff. Yeah. Like we saw there was this one student who we would um, sit behind or beside in a course for I think two semesters in a row. And she would just be doing BuzzFeed quizzes with her friend, right? Mm-hmm. Just consistently. Yeah. But to the teacher, it's like, oh, well, maybe they're taking notes. Mm-hmm. They're not taking notes. Most yeah. often. The good thing about paper is that you can't do quizzes on it. And you can't check Facebook on it. Mm-hmm. I know I sound like a boomer. I feel like I'm going to sound like a boomer in a lot of these episodes. I mean, I will as well. But it's just like... But you know what? That shouldn't be, that shouldn't be uh, pejorative. It shouldn't, you shouldn't be afraid of saying something because you're going to get called a boomer. Yeah. Sometimes like, there's nothing even wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, you sound like an, like an elderly person? They probably yeah. know what's best for young people. Yeah, In a lot of true. cases. One thing is that, like, to me, curriculums right now are all set by just, like, a board of people who taught, like, 50 years ago, or sometimes just by people who have never taught, (laughs) who haven't been in school in 50 years, and it's like, that needs to change. That's a bad method. Mm. It needs to be developed. I think if the curriculums were developed in consultation with the kids, you wouldn't have this tyranny every single day that you're coming in as a teacher, coming in as a fellow student, and the kids being like, this is stupid, I don't like this. Because, like, if they were genuinely consulted, not every single student, but, like, groups of students, like, a good sample size, then the stuff would actually be engaging to them. And teaching stuff that's relevant and broad that actually reflects the backgrounds of all the students who are coming into the class from the community. Yeah, well, this is what I'm saying. There needs to be a balance struck because it's, like, mm-hmm. kind of like the monkeys run the zoo. I think yeah. that's the saying, kind of like the monkeys run the zoo. I'm sure that's the saying. But it's like the teachers, the kids can't just choose their own curriculum because then it's going to be like, oh, well, at 9 a.m. we have Fortnite 101. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, that's okay, what it would I was, be. I was trying to sound like a boomer there, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the kids don't know what's best for them. And if, if they were choosing it or if mm-hmm. they had any significant input, they would never choose something that they don't like. Mm-hmm. Like who's going to say, man, I can't wait to do calculus. Like no mm-hmm. one's going to say that, but sometimes things that the children don't actually like might be good for them. So yeah, a balance definitely needs to be struck or just getting teachers or people on the board who know more about mm-hmm. kids 
and have to actually have like an eight-year-old on the board. But yeah. Anyway, um, learning styles. I remember that's something that was introduced to us, I would say in middle school, maybe like grade mm-hmm. eight, grade nine. And then for pretty much a day every year, we would have a whole like presentation about different learning styles in the classroom. And uh, there's this, you can do a quiz and figure out which learning style you are, but nothing ever came of it, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. And I know there's a lot of different models for characterizing different types of learners and they're all probably equally scientifically valid. But one I found that I like was from berkeleywellbeing.com. I don't know if that's actually affiliated with Berkeley University. Yeah, but that's the name of the website. And it characterizes the learning style by the thing that needs to be present for you to learn best, which I Mm. thought was really interesting. So they have the the typical ones like auditory. Mm -hmm. So you learn best when there is oral information being transmitted and sound and visual so you learn best when things are pictorial linguistic you learn best when you are reading and writing and kinesthetic so you learn best when you're using hands-on experience but there was also logical so you learn best when there are like systems and proofs and maths and numbers in general and these three i found interesting interpersonal so you learn best when there's other people Mm -hmm. Intrapersonal, you learn best when you have solitude. And naturalistic, so what's most important for you learning learning best is a good environment or mm. being outdoors is an easy example. Yeah. What type of learner do you think you are? I via think that model? I am probably the systems person. The numbers always... one, the logical, the spark? Yes. Oh, man. But because that's just how my brain works. It's like sometimes... No matter what I'm doing, I try and make like a one of those progress graphs of like this leads to this leads to this leads to this. Mm -hmm. And I also probably am interpersonal because it's like when someone tells me something that they're excited about, I just like absorb it. I'm happy to know that this is the other type because I never like fell into like the auditory, visual, or tactile. Well, this is just like I said, this is one model. So there's different ways of breaking it down. I would say I'm either intrapersonal, so I learn best when I'm by myself, or Mm -hmm. just the reading and writing. But I think that teachers struggle with balancing all these different styles because it's like, well, you just teach, do you just teach for the ones that have the most, the the majority of your students have? Because obviously some of these are a lot more common than others. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, do you try and do a representative? We're going to spend 10% of the time on this one. Or do you mix it up day by day? Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of, or class class by class or in 20 minute blocks. Like it's kind of... uh, Difficult. You don't want your, your classroom to look like a, a circuit in gym class, where it's like five minutes of this, five minutes of this. Like that can get too mm. crazy. But I feel like with all of the emerging research into these types of learning styles, into attention spans and so on, that's what classrooms have turned into, in my opinion. Teachers are just like switching every 20 minutes because that's what they were told a child's attention span is. Mm. But it's like that's not actually best for the kids. Another couple method issues that I had were one... We don't think in silos, so our subject shouldn't be siloed into math science. Like you can't just learn things in vacuums or else you're not going to be able to make the connections that you need to make to function in society and be creative and be critical. Hmm. And it also makes you less interested in each one, right? I remember I had this revelation in high school. It was this this one time in 12 years of learning when two of my classes kind of synced up. So we were learning Mm -hmm. the same topic, both in physics and in chemistry at the same time. I don't actually remember what it was now, which is kind of embarrassing, but, and I was going from class to class and I was like, this is, this is from physics. Mm -hmm. Like this is from, and then that's when you realize, oh, they're all just from the world. 
things don't actually it's not actually the case that all tiny things are biology and all bridges are physics it's mm-hmm. like there's actually a lot of biology also involved in bridges mm-hmm. which is a mind-blowing moment for a kid yeah definitely but it I makes, think you, they makes need you a lot more excited in class i and agree similarly in university i remember this one period this one semester where i had two courses in a morning and they were wildly different one was about renewable energy and the other one was about historical examples of visual art being translated into writing and vice versa and because i took these back to back in different buildings my mind was still like so fresh from the first that it would become permeated with images from the second and i would always come rushing back to residence with like a bunch <laughs> of really excited thoughts that i had which most of them were probably nonsensical but it was you know you, you were energized about learning and mm-hmm. Whenever you're energized about learning, you should um, try and figure out why that is and try and maintain that. I 100% agree. But when you think about it in, in most school days, there isn't any time really or any thought put into which class is going to follow which class. Mm. Yeah, that was my next point was that, okay, we have these subjects. I think they need to be more interdisciplinary, but it's like kids' attention spans are short, but also... If you just let them immerse themselves in a subject or two every semester, they're going to come out of it just like they'll feel empowered because they've done something good, like they've actually learned something. Whereas right now, as I kind of said earlier on, it's like you have to just put your hand in a bunch of pots or whatever the saying is. It's like you can't give your full energy to math because you then have to go to English. Hmm. You have to reserve your energy for all these different things. Whereas like with the Waldorf method, and I'm sure there's lots of other like progressive methods of education, it's like, they do two two subjects every semester and they mix it up with like other fun things, but they like focus on it. It's like, you are going to learn how a plant grows and you're going to be able to grow a plant. And it's like, why not? 16 years or more to learn how to do all the things. Why not put a few months into every single thing that you think a person should know? Yeah, one of the exercises that we did for the education zine was trying to design the curriculum for a student in the solar scene. Mm-hmm. And when we started off trying to come up with subjects, but then we thought, Actually, first off, we have to determine the structure of the school. Is it a day? Is it a week? How are the semesters kind of laid out, mm-hmm. right? And that's just as important as what actually, what's actually being taught and also how it's being taught mm-hmm. is when. Did you have any final gripes that you wanted to air? No more gripes. Lovely. I hope that I haven't made the viewers feel sweaty <laughs> um, or itchy. So if you want That's to... That's a really lovely image to leave to, us with, Yeah, Aaron. to finish with. If you want to buy the zine, do so. All the other social media links are in the description. We'd also love to hear from you. Email us with any of your comments, criticism, compliments, etc. I love his fluffy hair. That's what I would say. Thanks for listening. Bye.